It's Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Get in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's where you can interact with the show if you are listening live. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The weekend is here. Canucks coming off a loss to the Calgary Flames, returning home tomorrow night to play the Seattle Kraken and Monday, the San Jose Sharks. So the schedule keeps on rolling. And as we saw for the Canucks, you know, fatigue setting in last night against the Calgary Flames. And you know the thing about fatigue set and playing tired, we heard the coach say, uh, well, we got to learn how to play tired. Of course, you know, it's easy to say, but it's harder to do, especially when the depth players in your lineup aren't making the, you know, simple plays that can help you play a sort of boring style and not cause chaos that ended up in the Canucks losing their lead last night in Calgary. Yeah, but at the same time, like I, I do think even their best players weren't their best players. That's the, yep. maybe one of the worst games we've seen Quinn Hughes have. And how often can we say that about Quinn Hughes this season? We haven't said that. Pedersen scored the goal, but he's had a few games where he hasn't been at his best. So, I and I agree, Juleson and Friedman, and I know that'll lead us into the big discussion about the back end and where the team is trended towards. But uh, they made critical mistakes, but their stars just simply weren't good enough either. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you know, the the whole lineup had, uh, had their fair share of uh, battles last night, mm-hmm. and you know, it's there can be a lot of reasons, uh, right? The uh, letdown, the emotional letdown after the win over the Islanders and, and Bo Horvat uh, was a big game and a game that's easy to get up and motivated for, and then you have to play a night later in less than twenty four hours, travel to Calgary, all those different types of things. Maybe you don't have the same jump. But that's when you have to play a simple, boring game. Canucks weren't able to do that against a desperate Calgary team last night. And, you know, it's it's kind of a different contrast from where we were last year where, you know, now, like, so far, like, the losses this season have been the outlier rather than last year when they played, like, a good game and you're like, oh, wow, that was a really clean game the Canucks just played. Didn't happen often. But when they did, you know, that was the outlier compared to now where the losses, the ugly games have been so far the outlier this season. Yeah, and I mean... We would expect, we always expect them now when they have performances like this. How's the bounce back? What is that going to look like? How are you going to play against Seattle on Saturday? How do you get back to your principles and your details? And when you've won as many games as this team has won, I don't think there's any massive cause for concern or any massive trepidation. Yeah, some trends, of course, things they have to improve. But inevitably, you are going to lose hockey games. And inevitably, you are going to have games where you're going to be tired and you're not going to be able to pull them out and your best player is going to be behind the pace a little bit so they've had two of those games out of the 17 that we've seen so far right yeah it's a flyers game and and really the game in calgary so that's what 15 percent of your games yep. about like we're like what do we talk about maybe uh 12 or something so you're talking about essentially over the course of a season out of the 82 can you live with 15 16 or 12 games or so where you're not at your best and that's kind of what you have to look at right and 
if you bank a lot of points, you can get through these nights and not worry about it too much. Yeah, and you're going to have to find ways to uh, sneak some points out, manage some of those losses through the course of the season. But uh, so far, so good for the Vancouver Canucks. And even coming off a loss last night, I don't think there's uh, too much concern about where this team is headed, given all the success they've had. But now, as we talked about on the uh, Canucks Central roundtable yesterday, you know, where are the the caution flags? Where are the, the the reasons or areas that may give you some pause in fully believing in this team as you know a playoff team and, and maybe even have a little bit more in them and it's it's still on the back end and not to put it all on you know Juleson and Friedman last night as you mentioned you know there wasn't too many good players for the Canucks last night but we just you know we we know that that's going to be a pl- problem area if they are you know, put into spots where they have to play significant minutes for this team. Well, they don't really have anybody right now that can play significant minutes outside of their top four guys, right? And we're counting Tyler Myers in that top four? Yeah. And well, he we played have 22 He's played minutes. well enough. But... Well, yeah, and I mean, you have no other options, right? And And this just kind of reminds me again of as bad as Myers has been, and especially when he plays big minutes, but for all this talk about you can just play anybody in Tyler Myers' position. Why don't you just give Newell Juleson 20 minutes a game and not Tyler Myers? It's like, well, now you kind of know. right? Yeah. It's like same thing with Mark Friedman. It's well, like, and we've yeah. seen this like countless times through Myers' career here in Vancouver, too. Absolutely. And that's not to say that you know, he's been worth the contract or that he's been good enough or, or whatever, but... Yeah, you're asking him to play 24, 25 minutes, big minutes, tough, tough situations where really he's not suited for. But the problem is there isn't anybody else who is better suited to do those things than him on the roster. Now having Heronic, having Ian Cole, and up until the point Susie got injured, you don't have to rely on him as much. So it allowed the Canucks to kind of rebuild his game, shelter him a little bit, and bring him along slowly, build his confidence back up again, and kind of get him to a level where he's actually being a positive contributor to the team. But now he's going to be asked to do a bit more. How's that going to look? I think you can live with it because of how good Heronic has been, and especially if they split Hughes and Heronic up a little bit. But I don't know if it's tenable having both Juleson and Friedman in the lineup. And I think that's why you saw Hirose come up. And I would be surprised if both Friedman and Juleson are in the lineup against Seattle because I don't think that's a tenable way of running your defense. When you've been that reluctant to have our lefty play the right side, why would you have a subpar righty playing the left side? And we saw Friedman get in trouble with that when he pinched and he's, he has a stick on the outside because he's a righty and he's coming into forecheck. He doesn't get there quick enough. He can't seal the wall cleanly enough. The puck gets through, and the next thing you know, is an odd man chance going the other way. Now, he misread the play, but that's an instance where a righty's playing the left side, and you see the handedness on the stick have a factor in terms of board play and how to be able to seal along the boards and be able to uh, uh, close a guy down. That's one of the reasons, of many reasons, the coach likes to have his strict lefty-righty, and especially for a guy who can't handle big minutes to begin with. I just don't know if it's tenor. Like I just, I just can't see how, when you have other options, like Hirose, like Willannon, even even Matt Irwin, whenever he's fully healthy, same thing with um, Willannon. But when you have those options, Breezeball, when he comes back, I don't think it makes any sense to be throwing guys like Mark Friedman or Noel Juleson onto onto the left side. Uh, yeah, I was surprised when uh, both Friedman and Juleson were in on even Wednesday against uh, against the Islanders, and, and Hirose ended up being the healthy scratch after getting called up. Yesterday uh, may have been a product of like, hey, we can just send Hirose back down easily rather than having to put Juleson or uh, Friedman on waivers. Uh, you just... 
you know, it, it, not that they would automatically get selected on waivers. I mean, Friedman's passed through waivers once already this year, but you know, they are right shot defensemen, so you never quite know how to gauge that across the league. Teams could see them as depth options for them. So maybe that's part of the calculation for not having Hirose in when they you know, had to make another roster decision because of Andre Kuzmenko last night. And that looks like it's going to be settled by tomorrow. Hirose is already back up, and that's why we know that. It just never, it was just surprising given the way the coaching staff has sort of managed this all season long, being so strict mm-hmm. about lefty righty. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? Now we're going to go with two righties <laughs> and play one of the righties on, on the left side. And, you know, it, it played into, I know you, you broke it down last night on the post game show. It played into Friedman, maybe not winning that, that puck battle last night that, that leads to Calgary's first goal, not being a left shot and playing on the left side. So it's just surprising given the way that this coaching staff has operated all season long. Yeah, and I just don't know that it makes any more any sense to continue that on at, when you have other options. And, you know, I'm expecting to see Hirose get into the lineup. And I think it's important now. The Canucks have a cushion, but you don't want to be blowing through that cushion needlessly either. And so you have a little bit of time here, right? I don't think you should run rush out to go and make a trade or anything unless something falls into your lap or a trade that makes sense that you make, whatever the timing is on it. But I don't think you rush into making a trade unless you, until you start really exploring the other options you have. And you can't just blow through the cushion you have exploring it endlessly, but you have a couple of weeks here, I think, right? What does Hiroshi look like? What does Willana look like? What do these guys look like with a bit more support? Can you Can you see if it can work and you can patch it over a little bit here? Because if you don't have that answer internally, you're going to have to go externally. And as much as you don't want to be in the rental market, can you also ruin a start you have by not getting reinforcements in a season like this, even if the cost is mid-round picks for rentals or whatever? So I think if you don't have guys that can allow you to keep your head above water on the back end in those roles internally, then you may have to bite the bullet to go out and and make an acquisition you didn't want to make. And I'm not saying trade a first-round pick for rental. I'm just saying, for instance... Maybe there's a Dorov type guy. If it's not costing you a first, maybe you have to start exploring those things if you don't have internal options. It's, uh, it, it is something that happens later in the season, right? January, February. Some of it can be injury forced, but even still, like, how many games has Carson Soucy missed so far this season for the Vancouver Canucks? He missed the first two, both were wins over the Edmonton Oilers, made his return to the lineup when they lost that game in Philadelphia, and then he's just missed these last two. So in games where they've had Hughes, Roenick, Cole, and Myers operating as their top four defensemen, the team is 3-1, and one, right? That's product of the schedule, product of the way the team has played, the structure that they play with. They've been able to get by when they have had some injuries to deal with. So as much as last night wasn't all that pretty, like it's still not something, you know, if you're Patrick Alvin or Jim Rutherford, as you mentioned, Sad, it's not something you're, you're like, okay, we got to make a trade now. It's not like last year when they went out and they were like, okay, we have to make the Ethan Bear move right now because this is getting out of hand. We need help on defense. They're in a much different spot, and they can, especially with the schedule still being, I would say, somewhat soft for them over the next couple of weeks, even though it is heavy in terms of how many games they are playing. It's something that they can still manage 
But it's only going to get tougher when you're in January, February, and that's when every team is starting to get ready to make their moves. More sellers open up outside of just the Calgary Flames. So that's maybe, that's probably when they end up do making their additions to the back end. But yeah, you're looking for Akito Hirose probably as soon as tomorrow night to really start making a claim on this roster. And we saw how impressive he was last year. Um, it, it seemed like... the. So my read of the situation is Hirose is in the group of guys that they hoped would show another level when he came into camp this year. And he's kind of just the same guy they saw at the end of last year. And maybe that's why he was in the group that didn't really win a spot coming out of camp. I don't think it's unfair, that assessment, because we didn't see him. I mean, he's played 11 games in the AHL, and he has zero points in the AHL. And that's not a barometer for a guy like him in terms of his defensive play and and what he can do and still be very solid and, and helpful in a bottom six role. But it also shows you that he hasn't done what you mentioned and that's show something else so far this year an evolution to his game so to speak at the same time he's a 24 year old player and this is something we talked about before and said how much more of a ceiling is there in his game and yeah. you still have to allow some time to see what it looks like and him perhaps finding that this year in the ahl i would say though i don't know if he was ever expected to come in and actually make the team i think the hope had been with him is hey can he go down and play 30 games, 40 games, maybe he can show he has a bit more. To your point, can we explore his game a bit more, and can he do a few more things and ask more of him at that level to maybe prepare him a bit better, and let's just kind of find out exactly what he has to offer us? So I I do think coming into the season, he was not going to be on this team, Dan, unless he was going to be, he beat somebody out to be in the opening night lineup. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I don't think he was gonna. It was it was a situation where they looked at Hirose and said, "Hey, we want to have him here, and he's gonna be part of the team. If he's not a surefire number six on this team, then he's just gonna go down and play." And I don't think he did anything to show he's a surefire six this year in training camp. Although every time we saw him play, and even in the two games he played so far this year, he never looked out of place. And that's something you can't say for some other guys we've seen play on the back end. And uh, we'll see how uh, he looks as he might get a bit of an extended look now that uh, Susie is out for the next six weeks, will Akito Hirose. But it, it, it really shows the lack of depth. On the back end um, with this team, uh, Christian is coming in with this question. What's the timeline on Bear? When could we see him sign? Could that timeline be bumped possibly if he is ready? Um, you know, The timeline still seems to be uh, if Ethan Bear does return to the Vancouver Canucks, not that far away, like probably the next couple weeks, month of when we could see Ethan Bear finally sign that contract? The the question is when he signs versus when he's actually ready to play. Right. You know, ready to I play might be different from when he signs. Yes. And it's a very tricky situation um because I don't think he's been cleared yet, obviously. Mm-hmm. Had he been cleared, I think it would be pretty certain that he would have gone out there and play. But it might be a situation where a team may want him before he's fully cleared. And at that point, when he has to sign, he has to forego the insurance money. And the thing with the insurance money is he's getting paid on it, I think. It usually goes based on your previous year's salary or your projected future salary, right? Especially for guys that get hurt with their RFA. His qualifying offer was $2.2 million. Right. 
I think that he's usually what happens is they, they pay out that contract pretty much in terms of um, that same salary up until a certain period. Usually it's within the time frame of a, of a player's injury and when he's going to come back. So let's say he has a six-month injury. For those six months, if it's during the hockey season and he was expected to be under contract, for that time frame, he's going to get paid the insurance money for the wages he has lost. But once he's healthy, well, the insurance stops paying you because now you're healthy to go out and pay to play. But what's the incentive for him to forego insurance money to sign with a team right now? And especially when nobody's going to give you 2.2 million on the cap anyways. So it's one of those things where until he's fully healthy, there's no incentive for Ethan bear uh, to go and sign for league minimum with somebody. It's just, why not just write out what you have right now and, and get through what your situation, unless teams get to a point where they're like, Hey, we got to sign you now. Cause at some point we have to put you on waivers if you don't sign. And if that happens, we're going to be in trouble because somebody else is going to claim you. Once that becomes a bit of an issue i think he'll sign in a hurry it's not guaranteed it'll be vancouver but i do think that's the most likely place he ends up it's uh it's also probably a, a situation where bear goes to the ahl for a conditioning stint uh to, to play some games whenever he does sign um and uh, it's just uh probably a, a natural thing when a, a player's been out as long as he has to get some game action get in a little bit more of game shape so that uh, he can get into some NHL games. It's going to be even after he signs, probably uh, not, you know, stepping right into a NHL lineup. Um, so we've got this question here. Uh, this one from Lotso. Can you realistically rely on your top line, top players nightly? Are there situations where it's up to bottom 10 players to find a win? And look, you're going to have nights over the course of the season when the, the bottom of the lineup helps you win a game uh those are uh, you know always nice when they do happen but most teams and they win the majority of their games because of their top guys but i will say the canucks at five on five sat not that i'm ringing alarm bells but just some things i'm keeping an eye on canucks have scored one goal or fewer at five on five in three of their last four games that could just be some of the regression we knew was about to come for the Vancouver Canucks after they were on such a heater five-on-five five for much of the start of this season. But you know, the other part of it is the matchup line is like they're losing the territorial battle more often, really going back to, I guess, the Dallas game where they peaked. They didn't allow the Pavelski. They allowed one shot against the Pavelski line. And since then, they've they've had a little bit of a tougher time uh, territorially than they had earlier in the season. And I don't know if that's you know a trend we're starting to see happen. Uh, we'd like to see a few more games still, but it's just it, it's something that we've been watching, or certainly I've been watching and keeping an eye on to see how it continues to develop. Your boy PDG is facing a lot more attention than he ever has. And that line in general, um, and also the Canucks in general, and I think we're seeing this across the board, and you saw it against Calgary as well, they're getting forechecked a lot differently. And you're seeing the players be on top of their outlets in their own zone. And, you know, PDG's been so good at getting to its spots and help facilitate getting the puck out. And I'm not criticizing him because, you know, you can only do what you can do. But he, those availabilities aren't 
there as much because he's getting checked a lot harder on those spots. And I think it's, it's caused some issues with their breakout. And you, you've even seen it with Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic at times with some of the confusion you've seen with how teams are, are playing them. Now, they're, they're finding ways to get through it. They're going to find ways to be fine on it. But it's an adjustment this line is going to have to make because if they can't be as clean getting out as quickly because they lack a little bit of pace on the wings, it's going to cause a bit of an issue for them. And right now, they're having a hard time generating much through the neutral zone, and they're not getting in on the forecheck as quickly. And I think that kind of lack of speed compounded with the fact that they're getting forechecked a lot differently is causing a bit of issues with that line getting going. It's uh, it, it hasn't you know been awful. Uh, but, Wesley Financial. Uh, just some... Uh, quick numbers on the six games, two goals for three against at five on five and uh, just 37% of the shot share in the last six. Now, I am not always completely worried about some of those things because, hey, you're going up against you know, one of those games is against the McDavid line. You had the, the Maple Leafs in there. So there's, there's some good lines that they've gone up against, but it's just not looking as good and Sat, you've outlined some of those reasons as to why. And it's, I, I still think they've done a pretty good job defending in their own end mm-hmm. and keeping a lot of whatever chances or pressure they are taking in their own end, keeping it to the perimeter. And that's why you haven't seen the goals against really pop up that much. Like even one of the goals they were on against for is, uh, you know, the Bo Horvat goal the other night where it's just, it's, uh, you know, a failed breakout and then a Quinn Hughes turnover. Um, So it wasn't a, a breakdown of them in their defensive zone, missing coverages. It was a turnover and somewhat of an unforced error in that moment. Um, so defensively, I still think they've been pretty good considering the, you know, the, the quality of competition they've gone up against. Yeah, I mean, I think defensively they've been more than fine, I would actually say. Yeah. Um, they've given up some, some some things here and there, but generally speaking, the forwards have been really good with their back checks as well. That back pressure has been so key in taking away some ch- odd man chances going the other way and also taking away the middle of the ice on rebounds and on trailers jumping in and guys getting into the bumper spot to get their shots off. The Canucks have done a really good job of defending that. You know, we spoke about um, rail guys uh, last week, right? Yes. And we Frankie Corrado's breakdown that, that, we, that we discussed as well and we talked about what the coach has said about it and about protecting the middle of the ice and how the first forward back in has done a good job of, of defending that and they had some moments where they didn't and the coach mentioned that too but overall against the Toronto Maple Leafs for instance but outside of that they've been really good at doing those things so when it comes to the team game their back pressure their play along the walls uh, positioning even taking away the seam pass for the most part that's been solid it's been it's waned here and there but I've seen enough to feel confident that that part of their game is going to be fine and and the funny thing here is when we talk about the offense it has nothing to do with pure production because right now the Vancouver Canucks are third in the they're tied for second in the entire National Hockey League in five on five goals with 40 and they're seventh in terms of uh, goals per 60 or five on five uh they had they average just over three goals per game five on five tied with the colorado avalanche the issue is not so much about their scoring it's more about are they actually doing enough for that to be sustainable and here comes that word against sustainability yeah. i know people hate hearing it but the coach himself when he joined us last week he mentioned how that is something they need to do better on to sustain their scoring create some more five on five because this this most recent stretch here uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and this is looking at, um, let's see here, 
This is over the past four games for Vancouver. Yeah. Five on five, the goal scoring, they're averaging 1.21 goals per 60. Yeah. You know, and they are actually at the very bottom of the National Hockey League. They are 30 at these past four games in five on five goals. That's not to say they're not going to figure it out, but this recent trend, these last four games, the five on five scoring has essentially dried up. Now, it can bounce back, but going back to the point that you mentioned, it's in those numbers too, these last four games. Uh, you need to see a little bit more chance generation. And that's uh, something we've been harping on a little bit over these last uh, couple of weeks with the Vancouver Canucks, as they've been scoring in bunches, but chance generation hasn't been there to support that. And now maybe you're starting to see it play out. They had one five on five goal last night, zero against the Islanders. Uh, I think three against the Habs and then uh, zero against the Maple Leafs on Saturday. So that's uh, four games for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Keep your texts and questions coming in. We've got the mailbag coming up after five o'clock. And up next, our Friday analyst, Yannick Hansen, joins us on Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio, still to come, the mailbag. Your questions for us here on uh, Canuck Central. I know uh, there's a lot of discussion around Chris Tanev today on uh, Canucks Twitter because of his appearance on 32 Thoughts. Oh, yeah. Um, Some good stories from uh, Chris Tanev. Some good stories. Shed some light, too, on some of the things that we we kind of knew but nobody spoke about when he left Vancouver and how it all played out. Now we got was, to see it. Uh, now we got to hear it straight from his mouth, though. Yes, which always does give a, a little bit more context. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is—he's uh, open about how things went when he ended up choosing uh, to sign with the Calgary Flames over the Vancouver Canucks. You can listen to that on Thirty Two Thoughts. And hey, maybe he will be a Vancouver Canuck eventually once more you know maybe we'll ask our next guest uh, his former teammate Yannick Hansen our Friday analyst he is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group Metro Ford Port Coquitlam and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you thanks for this as always Yannick how are you I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing well. Uh, Canucks coming off the uh, loss to the Calgary Flames last night, and uh, I mean it's been an interesting week with everything that's that's gone on. They have the emotional win over over the New York Islanders, and then kind of flat last night against the Calgary Flames. It it almost uh, I don't know how players feel about this term, but it, it almost felt like a scheduled loss. Yeah, there were so many things that played into that game. Um, you mentioned it. Uh, you have a very emotional game against the Islanders um, with Bo coming back and then all these things. Uh, and then you're playing the next night in a different city. Uh, and not only that, it's you're losing the the hour on the time change. You're out late at night. You might not get into Calgary until 2 or 3 in the morning. Uh, and, and then you're up playing a, a team that's 
that's desperate. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's set up in a tough way. Um, looking over this, this schedule real quickly, um, right now the Canucks are in a, they're in a tough spot. It's, it's a lot of different cities um, and a lot of different nights right now. There's not a lot of continuity here, not a lot of time at home. It's in, it's out, it's different cities, and it's back and forth. Um, so there, there's no question this is a challenging part of the season for them right now. Um, so... Uh, you can say there it was a stinker, if you will. You look at the standings, and Calgary is a team you hopefully you you beat. But but in the way that game was set up, it was definitely not in Vancouver's favor. No, and the reality is you're going to have those types of games. And I think you know at this point last year, because of this bad start they had, anytime they had reached a stretch where they played five games in, in eight nights or four, uh, three games in four nights, we had a hard time making excuses for them and saying, well, yeah, it's an excuse, but you put yourself in a hole. You just can't afford to lose these games now, even if you're playing a lower opponent. It's just the reality you face, face right now. But when you get off to a 12-3-1 start, you lose one of these games. You don't take it as this huge, as much as you want to get better, of course, you can be better, but it doesn't sting as much, does it, when you have a good record? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, that being said, you don't want to be okay with, with losing mm-hmm. these ones. Good, good, uh, great teams, they, they find a way to win uh, when you're tired too, uh, when, when things aren't going your way, when you're on a back-to-back, when uh, travel is against you, when scheduling is against you, That that's when you find a way to, to claw points and wins um vancouver are, are trending in the right direction um and again uh, in calgary that that was definitely one of the harder games you can play from uh um the way it's um with the travel with the scheduling and all this stuff um not talking opponent inside and all these things but just from pure um scheduling it, it's probably the toughest one you can play a lot of times when we play uh back to back on the roads it's on the same time zone uh, relatively short flight like calgary vancouver that, that's not a short flight um we've done these times where, where you're you're traveling 40 minutes in between cities and then you're down in the same time zone and you're bed at a decent time where calgary even the airport is far from the hotel too. It's a little bit of a bus ride. These things all, all factor in as well. So it's like I said, it's um, is a tough tough nut to crack. Um, but again, um, it's one of those um, the ability to to have one of these games once in a while because you're not desperate for wins every single night. That being said, you don't want to go easy in any ways. But it's nice to have that cushion. Yeah, the coach said after the game, uh, we have to learn how to win uh, when, when we're tired. Um, and, and I assume that's just the coach's way of saying, like, we, we've got to play more mistake-free hockey, which is hard, hard to do when you're tired. But um, how can a team, you know, overcome some of that tiredness and simplify the game to a point there where they at least keep it close, maybe get it to overtime, shootout, that kind of thing? Yeah, a lot of times when we had those games in the past, you, you were – you, I hate to, you're looking at individual performances. You're looking at uh, you're looking at Lou, Lou. Help us out here. Get this <laughs> win for shut the door. You look into our power play. You look into the Twins. You look into Kess to have a game where they're not winning it by themselves, but but it, it is what requires some of these wins to come through. A lot of nights, the team game, the systems, all these things will take care of itself. Uh, sometimes you, you're, lo- you're looking at your uh, your horses and hey, get this done for us, and then we got your back uh, somewhere else. But but it, it is one of those times where you you need something, someone to to go right for you to to pull your wins out in some of these games. 
when the head coach talks about learning how to play tired, and you mentioned that as well, and, and he talks about as much as there are things they've done well, but they can do better with their structure. What's that evolution? Is that something that any team can figure out, or is there an evolution of talent and ability to be able to win those types of hockey games that really the good teams do? Yeah, it's no different than I think it was earlier in the season when we were going into Nashville um, and uh, talk it was was mentioned that we needed a business a business like win tonight or or something along those lines. And it is you have to eliminate almost all the mistakes because you're you're already at a disadvantage. So every mistake you you make, it, it just putting you deeper in that hole, and, and you don't want to go down a goal or two because it, it's going to get that much harder to claw back. So so when we need to learn how to how to play from behind it probably means because we're not expecting to go out and yeah we got outshot against the uh, islanders early on we're down two nothing but halfway through the game the the shot clock is tilted heavily in favor of vancouver because you're starting to build your legs and you have your your jam going that's probably not going to happen in calgary if we go down so we don't want to be in that situation that being said we never want to be in that situation but it's a little bit harder to pull from behind when you're fatigued, when you're tired. Uh, and the way you get down is by mistakes. Um, so, so you want to eliminate these as much as possible and make sure that when Calgary get a goal or earn a goal, it's because they deserve it. It's because they outplayed us, um, they outwilled us, they, they, they outdid a bunch of things, not because we failed to clear the puck on the blue line or, or we turned the puck be- out over behind our net or something like that. Make sure that they really earn these goals and they go tic-tac-toe through and across and then in the back of the net. Then fair enough, we'll tip our hats, we'll line up uh, at center ice and then we'll play again. Um, that, that way you're, you're making it harder for teams to beat you on your, on your bad nights. You know, the uh, the way the Canucks play, at least when they've been really good and on top of their game, you know, they're winning every battle, they're getting in on every puck, they're uh, really aggressive on, on the forecheck. And I, I guess I, I just wonder, you know, how, how taxing can that be over an 82-game season, Yannick? Yeah, it's a lot easier when you're winning. Um, things come easier to you then, and, and you're feeling a little more refreshed. The big thing here is, is ice time management um, and you guys myself and uh, we've talked about Quinn Hughes and Havonix ice times um, and how much uses are, is enough and what's not enough and, and what's the proper amount well if if you're playing offense it's a lot easier for these guys to, to dip into 30 minutes because the offensive minutes for defensemen aren't as taxing as if they're back in their own end fighting battling boxing out pushing pinning and all these things um, so when you're able to dictate play a little bit more like they have uh, early on in the season here, those minutes on, on your key guys, especially on, def- uh, on defense, it isn't as taxing. Um, up front, on the other end of this, this is where we need four lines. Because if, if you're pushing the pace this much offensively, you're forechecking, you're backchecking, finishing your checks, you're, you're grinding and doing all these things, that this can't be two and a half, three lines doing this. This has to be four lines. You have to come in waves. You, you have to get uh, multitudes of offensive zone starts. It's always easier starting to there. Don't make the next line move the puck 200 feet before you can start your cycle games and all these things. So all these little things plays into... Um, the ice time and how taxing it is to play this style because if you don't have the puck a lot this style you're, you're talking about it is very very hard because you're always chasing you're always pushing the pace uh, and you're always feeling like you're, you're almost half a step behind so again if things come together and you're managing to move that puck up in the end where you want it it becomes a lot taxing and, and you can do it on a more consistent basis 
Now, in terms of the personnel, we, we see some issues now, of course, with Kuzmenko missing the game, having Pew Suter out, and then having Carson Soucy out. We're seeing now the extra minutes on guys like Mark Friedman and Noah Juleson. They're having a hard time handling it. And we, we watched uh, the, the player on the other side, two of the players on the other side who have been linked to Vancouver as uh, unrestricted free agents this upcoming summer, and that is Nikita Zadorov and your former teammate and friend Chris Tanev. And we heard the team is interested in Tanev, of course, but we also hear they don't want to give up too much because he's a UFA at the end of the season. Now, maybe if you're willing to do a Niels Hoaglander, maybe that's something they can explore. But is that something you think the team should be aggressively looking to do to add a player like Chris Tanev, despite the fact he's 33 years old? Or what type of addition would you like to see on the back end? I love a Chris Tanev in the lineup right now. Uh, he, he's exactly what you need, what can fit in, and what will round out. The, the reason... They let him go. Uh, I think I, I don't know. Is I, I think he was he was getting hurt a little bit too much. He he was dipping into that fifty sixty game range, which for a top four defenseman you prefer him to be for him to playing every night. But I know that that that's a pipe dream. But but again, that was one of the the reasons they probably let him go. And looking back, it, it was a mistake, no question about that. They've been looking for him ever since uh, they found two guys two guys now uh, in cole and susie they're probably a little bit more uh, physical uh, in that sense they're a little bigger a little stronger than, than chris but but chris is still a phenomenal skater and get your get your team out of trouble in the same way as quinn hughes uh, smart skating quick back easy outlet pass so he, he, again we, we don't need we, we don't need a, another point producing defenseman we just need somebody who will take care of the defensive end make sure demko is seeing 20 30 shots a night nothing more than that and then it'll give you a much better chance of winning as for what to to give up that that's that's not for me to to decide and what i like and what i don't like but but again that that type of player will uh, will definitely fill a hole um, now that we're also seeing what happens when a, an injury creeps in like Susie injured out and now all of a sudden we're all oh, now it's getting some thin and you're starting to lean a lot on more on other guys and the guys that are coming in are having a harder time on these things that's where they were kind of a, a five-man decor right now with the Canucks and then they had a, a six to seven and an eight defenseman that were kind of interchangeable that could be anyone um, but, but now with Susie out that that, that it's it's not your number one, number two uh, defenseman by any means, but but still it, it leaves a, a giant hole real quick. Now, uh, speaking of Chris Tanev, he was on the 32 Thoughts podcast. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to hear it, but he went through a lot of different things, spoke about his time in Vancouver and what happened with him going to Calgary. But he also brought up a story about uh, the rookie party and you guys going out and playing um, uh, some bowling. And he mentioned uh, that uh, curling and he mentioned that uh, you weren't very good at curling. What do you have to say about that? I think he was drunk because I was phenomenal as far as I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> curling, we, Denmark had one good year of curling back at, at one Olympic and it kind of loved it, but it is not. We don't have a lot of ice uh, in, in Denmark and <laughs> curling was not high on uh, allocation. So no, it is not a sport I've had a lot of interaction with. Uh, it's okay, Yannick. My Italian heritage, I'm more about the bocce anyways, you know, like uh, yeah. who needs who needs curling? It's bocce's exactly. way better. <laughs> what, what do you what do you think of Crystal saying that? I mean, you know, this is the guy he used to call you a friend. You call him a friend. What's going on? I, don't, I think we're still taking stabs <laughs> at everybody. Like, I, I yeah. can't, uh, it, it doesn't matter why. As soon as something gets brought up anywhere elsewhere, um, 
there's always uh, a backhanded compliment coming with something somewhere. Uh, I think it's just from being having yeah. played together for so long and then sharing so many yeah, memories and, and things you've done together that there's always room for that. Was that uh, was that a product of uh, Kevin Bieksa just uh, always uh, stirring it up in the room or what? Uh, he, I, he definitely haven't toned it down after he retired, that's for sure. <laughs> um, somebody stuck a mic in front of him and he hasn't been quiet since, so thanks whoever decided that. Uh, it is Yannick Hansen joining us uh, here on uh, on Canuck Central. It's um, so there's there's a lot of discussion right now about and uh, obviously speculation about Elias Pettersson and his next contract. As uh, negotiations have seemingly picked up a little bit here over the last little while, Pettersson's leading the league in points. Why wouldn't you want to negotiate right now? And you know, the the idea seems to be that it's it's leaning more towards a a short term deal in the in the three to four year range and. Uh, I, I think the um, look. If you're a star player, you can call the shots, right? Like Patterson knows that this team will go as far as essentially he and, and Quinn Hughes take them. But it does sort of set up maybe a window for Patrick Alvine to have to be almost have to be super aggressive in the next couple of years if that is the way things go with Elias Patterson. Yeah, it like that contract. Um... Looking back, he, like I know we've been picking on Benning, but but the contract he handed out to Quinn Hughes that, that looks phenomenal. Um, Petey, on the other hand, he set himself up. There's no question about that. Um, and then he he's gonna get paid, uh, and he's gonna get paid a lot. Um, and we still don't even know the cap that's probably coming out here within the next couple of months. They're gonna start speculating on that, and if it's rising as well. Um, and Petey continue to play this way. Like, like, it scares me to say it, but he could be the highest play, player in the league real fast here. Um, and again, right now he's playing there. Um, the, the scary part about that is that it's again it it takes away from from building, adding players around. Um, but then again, come back to like the way he's playing. He he's earning he he's earning whatever he's gonna get right now in the way he's playing. Um, so, so again, it's uh, you'd love to see it being a longer, longer deal for sure. Um, it, it seems like a couple of the guys, Matthews specifically, ha- have been starting to do these shorter deals. Where in the past, these guys, when they were at the peak, they just wanted the uh, as much money for as long term. Where, like I said, Matthew started this with these uh, four or five year deals, and then set you up for for maybe three, um, maybe four deals instead of just uh, the, the the two deals the other guys are getting. But then with the security but again it's uh pd has uh, has put himself in a in a very very good position for himself and and his agent there's no question about that as far as just where we, we where we view Elias Pettersson as a player and even Quinn Hughes with the way they're playing it's it's obviously easy to say they they look like the absolute top echelon of players when would you feel comfortable though let's say Pettersson gets you know one of those massive contracts when would you feel comfortable that he is a guy that can live up to that when the team has success, mm. when the team has success, that's when you you know that the they're 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 the horses and then they do it when it matters. Um, look at Tampa; uh, those guys down there, they they've done it for a long, long time in the regular season and all these things, uh, and then they finally pushed through and, and did it in the playoff as well. That that's when you can uh, uh, you you can really say that that these guys are. Uh, a cut above, if, if you will.
Uh, before we let you go, I have one more on Teddy Bluger, who just came back, and he, you know, he played some in training camp, then he missed a bunch of time, and he came back, he's played a couple games, but you can tell he's trying to find his game again. For a player who comes in and joins in at this stage of the season, when the players are still kind of fresh, they're playing at a high caliber in terms of their energy level, how hard is it to catch up at this point in the season when you're coming back from being off for a few weeks? Yeah, it's no different than Mikheyev when he came back. The problem was Mikheyev, which was thrown in with, with Petey and, and Kuzminko and then had success right away, um, getting some a couple of lucky bounces. But again, it's goals, and you want to get that first goal. You want to feel like you're part of the team, where Bluger is a little bit uh, lower in the lineup, so it's a little bit harder to come by these chances. Um, but, but you want to get involved as quick as possible. And when you miss time and, and time, like I say, a week is some time enough. Your edge is gone. Your your pace is off of where it needs to be. Your, your thinking is a, is a little bit slow. Um, you step on the ice and then you feel like everybody is skating around a million miles an hour and you're stepping around in quicksand. So it, it takes time. Um, and this can be sped up a little bit by, like I said, uh, some success. Team success is great because it, it, it makes us them not talk about okay does he need to come out of the lineup again do we need to put somebody else in that was up to speed here the team keeps winning it's easier to keep guys in on this stuff but but at some point um, you need the guy gel with somebody you need them start producing um, feeling good about themselves individually as well and not just the team Yannick we uh, we appreciate the time as always thanks for this yeah, my pleasure. Take care. There is our Friday analyst, Yannick Hansen, joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. Uh, so uh, Elliot did clarify uh, one thing that he, he mentioned uh, on the clip that we played yesterday uh, from 32 Thoughts, that mm-hmm. um, Patterson could be angling to have a three-year deal, which would have him hit unrestricted free agency as, uh, I guess, a 28-and-a-half-year-old. So just before his uh, his 29th birthday. And, and that's kind of significant. It puts uh, it would put Pedersen on the same timeline as Quinn Hughes contract-wise. Yeah, and, and I'd say one of the things, too, and I mentioned this, and even Elliot mentioned it as well um, yesterday or on the 32 Thoughts pod, that it's still early in the process and, and things – it's one of those things. It's like you're hearing three, you're hearing four. It's shorter term, but eight's not out of the equation. I'd be careful to assume that it's going to be three or even four. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things. Like we're talking about stuff early on here, um, but I just don't. I just think you have to play a little bit of ball one way or another, right? And for the team. Is three years really, I mean, hey, you do what you got to do, but is three years what you want to do in terms of where you're at with the player? I think you'd like to get four at the very least, and even that is doing four years is still kind of acquiescing to the player to begin with. Um, we'll see what happens here, but I think it's still very early in that process, and it wouldn't shock me if, if it ends up being a little bit longer than three. It's uh, it's it's really interesting. I think, um, and I'm sure we'll have more questions about this in, in the mailbag, but Players of that caliber, especially as they get close to free agency, unrestricted free agency, they do hold all the cards, right? <laughs> like, if you're the team, yep. you know you need to keep this player to have success. And so it's you're in a very unfavorable negotiating position. And I think Austin Matthews, you know, has sort of shown other star players around the league, like, you don't have to sign the eight-year term 
and you don't have to necessarily take less <laughs> by not signing the eight-year term. Uh, you can call the shots if you are a player of that caliber. There's only a few players of that ilk around the league, but I think NHL players are starting to realize that, much like you know NBA players had in the past. And um, it's it's kind of a, a scary thought if you're a Canucks fan. But at the end of the day, what matters most here is Pedersen seems to want to remain a Vancouver Canuck. And that is still the most important part of the conversation, even if um, he is maybe angling a little bit more towards a short-term deal than long-term in this moment. It's Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. The mailbag is coming up next. Your questions for us here on Canuck Central.